Chapter 11 Let's go out with a bang. Bosch and the unnamed location. The next day. From his place in the semicircle of a dozen comfortable chairs, nine holding male officers behind the curved table in an otherwise empty room, General Rainey squints at me with roomy eyes under a shock of white hair. Very well, recruit. We have heard your defense. The committee will take it under advisement as we discuss how to proceed. You may return to training, but, and this is only my own recommendation, it might be best if you attempt not to commit any further infractions. He chuckled at his own joke. My face is stone. Yes, well. He clears his throat and continues. A decision regarding court-martial will be forthcoming by morning. Good day, recruit Wallace. Yes, sir. Thank you, sirs. I wonder if the fuck all of you that I believe is implicit in my statement comes through. Probably not. And as I salute and turn to go to my second to the last class of recruitment, I figure it's just as well. The past day has been a real shit show. Last evening after the mission, I sat rereading the same line from Rosalind in As You Like It. I'll think of something, but please tell him how well I faked a faint. Purposefully indulging my fury and focusing on the I'll think of something part. Though nothing was coming to me as fainting didn't seem to be useful. Just as I was about to toss the book aside and go for a run, a formally dressed courier arrived at my barrack door with a friendly little note. Recruit Wallace, please report to the courtroom in Bosch Hall, floor two, room 204 at eight bells tomorrow for a pre-assessment of the three charges of insubordination and the one charge of assault on Trooper Michelle Romero to determine if they will be deemed court-martial offenses. You are asked to remain in your dorm until this meeting. Sincerely, Fanny Bohanna. Court Clerk, Bosch Pirate Force. Well, shit. I sat down on the edge of my skinny, overly firm bed and kicked my running shoes off. This can't be good. I did not sleep well that night. Then, this morning, I arrived at what I like to think of as my own personal inquisition, having recently read a rollicking adventure by Cervantes, and then doing a deep dive into its historical base in the Spanish Inquisition. I assumed there would be no thumbscrews here, and I was correct. However, to my dismay, Teddy was nowhere to be seen during my happy little moments sitting on a hardback chair for almost two bells in front of a bunch of old men rationalizing what was definitely insubordination and assault. Hard to really get around that. Nope. No, Teddy. But hey, I got all five generals and the four senior commanders. I had mustered all my newly acquired bravado for the meeting, but inside, I was, and still am, disconsolate as I wend my way over to the green to get to class. Where was Teddy? He has been so legitimately kind and generous with me since the day I met him, helping me to find ways to strengthen my body and my mind, and probably, most importantly, my spirit. I know I've let him down by my rash actions, and I am beside myself for that. I wipe away a few tears that rise and then trickle onto my cheeks. My dad back north was a real piece of work. Mean. When I was little, I tried to do things to get approval from him, but ended up getting smacked and yelled at for being underfoot and a nuisance. Teddy, with his kindness and his gentle way of teaching, has been more of a father in the past three months than dad ever was in close to 20 years. What have I done? I know, I was over the top barging into his office. Is that why he didn't show at the meeting? Then I feel my brain pivot. Wait a minute. 
I am standing up for what is right. Just because a bunch of people are kind and nice and helpful to me doesn't mean it still isn't wrong to subsidize enslavement. Okay, maybe hitting Michelle wasn't about enslavement, but it just felt so good to pop her one. I make a fist and give it a small swing. Maybe that's a problem. I return to self-recrimination, but keep it spiced with a strong sense of self-righteousness. I feel like I've found the right mix by the time I arrive at my classroom in the lecture hall and slip quietly into my seat in the far back row. Some of the other recruits glance up when I come in, but most are focused on what Major Arain is saying. Your graduation ceremony will be on the green at 11 bells the day after tomorrow. Your family members can arrive at 10, and you will have a one-week leave upon the conclusion of the ceremony after all recruits receive their hat and sash. And as is traditional, the major grins, tattoo artists will be available throughout the afternoon, evening, and night for those who choose. He emphasizes the word choose in a way that made it clear there really was no choice. To receive their Bosch Pirate Force tattoo. There's a rumble of low laughter and excited commentary as I watch my classmates point to various parts of their bodies where they have mapped out their new mark. I lean and peer from my seat a bit to see what the other three women in the recruit class of 53 are doing. Ah, oh, there's a surprise. Waverly and Petra are sympathetically tending to Michelle, who has placed an overly large bandage on her face. They do make a fine trio, those three. They've never let me into their little group. Not that I want to be there. They spend an inordinate amount of time discussing the male recruits in terms of dating, a subject I have zero interest in given what happened on Bell Coast. I'm pretty sure I will never want anyone to touch me like that again. Too much has happened. Captain Vargas quiets the class down and begins to discuss decorum at graduation when it hits me. What if they don't let me graduate? Could they just kick me out? Could I actually be locked up if court-martialed? What if Teddy and Miriam send me away? Failed experiment. I feel nausea rise and my chest tighten. I let my head sink into the desktop in front of me. Fred Driscoll, who has become something of a ground crew expert and, like me, prefers to sit in the back to avoid notice, looks over at me. He's a nice kid, and it's been nice seeing his confidence increase during the evening secret gym sessions. He gives me a smile and says, Come on, cat. It can't be that bad. We're almost done. I lift my head and force a smile back. Yeah, Fred. Almost there. Maybe. I push the throttle in the little Pinnace 48 to full and pull the yoke back, rising easily off the old airfield south of town. This one was abandoned years ago because it was too short for the larger vessels to take off and land on. But it's perfect for these small vessels Teddy and, by extension, I favor. I turn to my navigator, who is almost shoulder to shoulder with me in this vessel. So, where are we going on this pirate raid? Teddy grins. Well, a reliable source told me that there was a shipment of valuable cargo headed to Belcoast. And while it isn't a direct assault, it sure as hell will piss off the purchaser for us to intercept it. I stare at Teddy for a moment, then laugh. He is right. I may not be able to directly attack him yet but I like the idea of keeping some desired items from him. He doesn't get angry like a normal person, but I know it will niggle and irritate him. To not have, say, his favorite champagne, or some of the other fineries he believes he is owed. It gives me a flush of pleasure to know I might get under his skin. Plug in the coordinates and tell me the plan. I am all in. It feels good to be out, flying and planning some mischief. 
This is possibly my first and last raid. Teddy found me as I was walking to the food trucks this afternoon. I should have been at the mission debrief, but Vargas had stopped me after class and told me, given the pending investigation, I think it best you not attend the debrief. Way to team build, Vargas the average. Thus, adding another piece of evidence to the growing heap I've collected that officers are tools. If I get to stay and graduate, I shall never be an officer. Teddy was all cloak and dagger as he hustled me through my lunch, telling me only we were going on a pirate raid. And to the cave that disappears into a hill bordering the airstrip. That is our cave. Well, really Teddy's. But I am one of the few he has let in on its existence. We have the entrance covered with vines and branches. It's surprisingly large. We put a small vessel in it and did repairs one day when a storm was blowing across Bosch. Teddy says there are lots of rooms and chambers and grottos in it, but I haven't had time to fully explore it. Maybe after I get court-martialed and thrown out of the BPF, I'll have loads of free time then. How long of a flight? I could have calculated, but that's what a navigator is for. We'll be in the air for about a bell and a half. Roger that. I let several minutes elapse in silence. Teddy? Cat? I hear a smile in his tone. That's probably good, right? There was a meeting this morning about whether I should be court-martialed. My voice sounds small. Yes, I know. I wait a moment, summoning my courage. I need to know, but I'm afraid of the answer. Why weren't you there? All the other top-ranking officers were. Now it's Teddy's turn to pause. I don't dare look at him because I can feel my eyes filling with tears. I feel his hand on my shoulder. I'd planned to be there, but Miles let me see a bit of the interviews and... He gives a small, mirthless laugh. Considering why you hit that recruit, I felt it best to recuse myself. I felt a measure of the tension in my gut that had been knotted there since the meeting flow out, along with the breath I didn't know I was holding. Of course, he didn't want there to be any accusation of favoritism. Sweet new earth, Teddy. I thought maybe I had really screwed up. Well, you are being evaluated for court-martial. Most people would see that as a screw-up. His tone isn't scolding, but matter-of-fact. No, I thought I'd ruined things between us. I motion, between the two of us with a finger finally looking at him. That kind of screw-up. He smiles at me and shakes his head. I continue. And if they're going to court-martial me for calling attention to aiding trafficking, then fine. No, Cat. His face is serious now. It isn't fine. You have too much to offer Bosch to throw it away before you start. I shrug. I don't know what I can do now. It's sort of up to the generals and commanders. Hmm. Teddy nods. Well, take whatever chance you have. It's best that you go in knowing all the information about the layout, the cargo, and the possible opposition. The devil's in the details. But realistically, there will always be some unexpected development. And you have to think on your feet and make sure the mission objectives are accomplished. The only time to abandon a mission is when your life or one of your crew's lives are at risk. Stay safe and stay alive. That's the motto. Teddy continues to school me on extraction techniques and cautions as we creep through the dimming light and the low brush toward the metal storage shed that holds the cargo marked for Belcoast. The plan is simple. Go in when the transport crew is at dinner, jimmy the lock, boost a vehicle, take everything we can load up and head back to our vessel and fly the hell home. He has given me back the weapon he had handed me when I first arrived, and Betsy had driven the two of us to his and Mama's home. 
I was astonished that he had trusted me with a weapon then, and I held it in my lap during the short drive to the house. Once we got inside and Miriam had begun to mother me, I handed it back. He had shrugged. You tell me when you need it back. I hadn't asked, but here it is again, in my hand. Its weight is more than that of a fine pistol, a Glock 147, because now I know that it once belonged to his father. I want Teddy to know it means a lot to me and I'll take care of it. My shooting has improved remarkably thanks to Tommy, though I still hope I won't have to use it. There. As we come up to the cargo station, I point to the building on the end. You said the third storage shed farthest from the main building, right? Yep. Teddy points to the one I indicated. All right. You are faster than me, so you go and get the door unlocked. I'll go get a vehicle and bring it around. Got it. I slip along the brush line until I am near the windowless shed. It's pretty sturdy looking, and only the one door with a light shining on it. I pick up a rock displaced from the gravel road that runs between and away from the buildings and lob it. A clang and then a shatter, and the door is left in the dark. Better. I pause for a moment to be sure no one else heard that, and then I slip up to the door turn on my own small light and start to work on the lock with the picks Teddy has given me. My breath is coming a bit fast, and I can feel my heart rate increasing. A smile is on my lips. God, this is fun. I hear voices and I stop my work, clicking off my light and pressing myself to the door. The voices fade and I return to my task, which, if I can just say, is not easy. Those old Earth Days movies made it look like a one-two-three deal, but it's hard. I hadn't initially understood why Teddy had dumped a bunch of locked locks in the pick set on me soon after I arrived, during the weeks before recruitment began. He had said, it'll give you something to do with your mind and your hands. The first one took me about three quarters of a bell. I'm down to about five minutes now on simple ones, but this one isn't simple. Almost there. A little more and I hear the satisfying click and turn the handle of the shed. I glanced toward the building in the direction I had seen Teddy meander and see a vehicle coming toward me, right on time. I step into the shed and sweep the interior with my light, eagerly looking to see what booty we will score. There are stacks and stacks of boxes against the unfinished walls. I see a familiar box that I know holds champagne. Excellent. I continue the sweep and my light catches something. It's a face. Strike that. Faces. I meet Teddy at the door. His face is alive with the thrill of the game. He smiles warmly at me. Well, this is going to be a surprise. So, in there, I start haltingly. What'd you find, girl? Fancy food and wine? He leans to peer around me, but the shed is dark. Um, yeah, and half a dozen other items. Well, let's get them loaded then. We don't want to get caught on your first raid. I motion him in close the door behind me and turn the shed lights on, illuminating the six shackled young women, tape covering five of the mouths. I had pulled the tape off one and talked with her using standard F.A. speech, as she looked blank when I spoke in the Bosch dialect. She had only understood the bare minimum, but it was enough. So I think this is one of those unexpected developments. Teddy looks gobsmacked. I hadn't talked to him about everything that happened on Bell Coast. I haven't really shared it with anyone. I told Miriam a little, and I think she guessed more as she tended to me those first days. His voice comes out in a croak. What the fuck? I look at the women, girls, really, sitting on the floor. They're all dressed in identical tan tunics, 
the kind we thralls are given after we are inspected, and our home clothes and belongings thrown away. They are shackled, with tape across their mouths, but otherwise look well cared for and decently fed. I imagine he wants to be the one to use the lash the first time. I shudder at the memory. They all have dark hair and large, dark eyes that have not exchanged the terrified look for one of hopelessness. Their cocoa-colored skin is smooth and unscarred. Let's keep it that way. The one girl I spoke with, Inez, I gestured to her, told me they're from the New Caribbean Archipelago. I know it's not his first shipment from there. Two of the girls I buried could have fit nicely into this group. I keep that to myself. We need to get them out of here, Teddy. New Caribbean, huh? Those banks are a spot to stash markers. Teddy says this like it's an afterthought, then looks at me and nods in agreement. Then his brows furrow. You don't seem that surprised to find them here. Oh, I was, at least at first, but he always had a steady stream coming in to replace those that... I pause. Really don't want to talk about why he needed replacements. Well, to serve as replacements. I see the craggy eyebrows dip farther. You aren't telling me everything. No, I'm not. I turn toward the girls. Let's get to work, shall we? Teddy pauses for the briefest moment and then nods and turns with me. As we approach them, I see a couple of them draw back fearfully, likely due to Teddy's presence. Why don't you grab a couple boxes of champagne and such so it just looks like a random robbery, and I'll get the girls into the vehicle. Is there enough room for them all? He nods. They'll have to squeeze together, but they're not very big, and it's not far. I'll toss the boxes in the hold. I talk quietly with all the young women, removing the tape from their mouths as gently as possible picking the locks on their shackles and explaining as best I can that we will get them out and then to freedom. One understands and speaks pretty good F.A., better than Inez. She looks a little older than the rest and translates my instructions to the others. What's your name? I ask after offering mine. Her face darkens a bit. They told me my name will be Mary. I feel my neck twitch and I scowl. That's what they told me as well. I show her my arm. Her mouth curves into a smile. My name is Sedella. I'm pleased to meet you. I smile back. Oh, Sedella, the pleasure is all mine. Everything is going smoothly. The hold has four boxes of wine and champagne, and Teddy found an insulated chilled box that held beef. Quite the haul. The girls are stuffed into the back seat, arms and legs wrapped around each other, and Teddy is at the wheel. He looks at me curiously when I toss the shackles and tape I removed at my feet on the passenger side. What do you want all that for? I want the traders to think we are just opportunistic thieves stealing what is most valuable, not liberators. I kick the shackles toward the front to make room for my feet. Smart girl. He nods approvingly as he starts up the vehicle. Suddenly I hear a shout from the main building. I glance at Teddy who murmurs, fuck the door. I look over my shoulder and see that the breeze has blown the door open slightly and I never turn the light off. It's a fucking beacon. Let's go, Teddy. The wheels are turning before I finish the sentence, and gravel goes flying up from them. I tell Sedella and Inez to hold on, and to tell the other girls to do the same. There are four men running toward us, and Teddy has pointed the vehicle directly at them. I hear pops of weaponry. I pull the pistol Teddy had given me and stuff my earplugs in and unroll the window. What the hell are you doing, cat? Teddy yells. Returning fire! You just get us out of here! My voice is diminished by the wind that buffets my head, shoulder, and arm. 
but I think he heard me because the vehicle speeds up. I take aim and hold my breath and pull the trigger. The shot hits the ground in front of one of the men, not particularly accurate, but it surprises them enough that they pause in their own firing. Then Teddy bears down on them and they scatter, yelling obscenities. He powers past the main building and then turns the wheel tightly to the left, and we head away from the fray. I am back in, rolling up my window when I hear additional pops. I turn and see a vehicle a distance behind us. Well, shit, they aren't getting the message. I start to unroll the window again, then pause and turn to Teddy. Do you have another weapon? Of course I do, but I can't shoot and drive. Give it to me. I am not letting these girls get taken back. He pulls a twin to the pistol I carry from a second holster on his side and hands it to me. Hope Tommy taught you to shoot straight, he says as he passes it over. Me too. I crawl over the girls who are horizontal in the back seat and yell, cover your ears. Then I shoot one round at an angle into the back window and a large crack forms. Now cover your heads. I grasp the front seats and kick hard at the cracked window with both feet. It shatters and most of it flies off outside. I see the pursuing vehicle's headlights getting closer. Tommy had me practice shooting with both hands repeatedly. He said it was like being able to switch my stance in a fight. Increase your advantage, lass. Your opponent won't know what to expect. I lie down on my stomach halfway onto the vehicle hold. Sure hope not, Tommy. I breathe and point both weapons at the front of the vehicle. Just have to wait until they are a bit closer. Our vehicle hits a bump and I feel my body lift and slide toward the back. Shit, I'm gonna fall out. I try to find some purchase with my legs, but there's none. My head and shoulders are past the end of the hold and I feel the weight of my upper body start to tip down toward the rapidly moving road. Then I feel several pairs of hands grab my calves and ankles and pull me slightly back and steady me. I swallow hard and lift my head, squinting as I see the headlights come nearer. The vehicle closing the distance. I re-aim, hold my breath, and fire a dozen rounds from each gun. The noise is deafening and despite my earplugs, my head begins buzzing immediately. But the vehicle careens off the road into the grassy shoulder. Headlights illuminating steam coming from the engine and a tire flattened. Men roll out cursing and stumbling, but fade into the distance as Teddy maintains his speed. Pull me back. The women tug at my legs and then wait until I'm fully in the back seat on top of them. I look at the faces below me and smile while I click on the safeties and tuck the weapons in my belt, picking off the odd piece of rear window from my uniform and tossing it out the large hole that replaced it. Thank you. I would have slid off for certain if you hadn't saved me. I know I am talking too loudly, but I can't hear myself well. I pull my plugs, but there's only marginal improvement. Sidella smiles and says equally as loudly, we are saving each other. I smile back, look out the hole in the back of the vehicle and see nothing but dust and road behind us. Teddy takes another turn and then another as I scramble back to my seat up front. I blow a breath through my cheeks and look at Teddy, wiggling my fingers in my ears to try to stop the ringing. He glances at me and grins. It's a hell of a lot of fun, ain't it, girl? The most fun I've had in, well, I consider, grinning. Ever, I guess. It's the adrenaline, he nods. We make a good team. If you get to stick around, we'll do it again. My heart overflows. I better be sticking around. Don't land at the old airfield. I'm charting us for the base field. Teddy is plugging in coordinates into the vessel's navigation system. What? Why? I look at him incredulously. We'll be seen. 
I thought this was supposed to be outside of the force. Yeah, but now we have these girls. He motions with a thumb back toward the six women holding onto the cargo netting behind us. We'd have to take him to the immigration center if we land off base. On base, they remain under my domain, and we can protect them a bit longer. Okay. I know my voice has a skeptical tone to it, but I trust Teddy. Once we get there, I will make myself scarce. Try and keep one of us in the force. I turn my head quickly to look at him, astonished at this statement, and he grins and winks. I grin back and shake my head. Oh, and Cat. Teddy's voice is curiously nonchalant. You did well with the pair of pistols. Why don't you hang on to them? I close my eyes briefly and hold my breath. Sure, Teddy. I'd be proud to. I'll take care of them. We fly the rest of the way in comfortable silence. We land and it's late and dark. I roll the pinnace into the hangar, intending to cover it myself. There's only a skeleton crew on. I figure we can get by pretty anonymously until I'm walking down the ramp with Sedella and Inez and the other four women, and I look up and see Fred Driscoll. I duck my head, hoping he won't notice me. Teddy has disappeared, as promised. Cat, what are you doing? So much for not being noticed. Fred! Oh, I can't really explain. How about we just keep this quiet? I put my hands out beseechingly. Can you get some blankets for these people? They're tired and chilly. Fred just looks at me for a good minute. Then he turns and walks quickly away. Shit. I wonder who he's going to tell about this. I see him go and talk to two troopers who disappear. Maybe to get BPF security. He looks back at me and the girls. I smile and wave a little. Double shit. Then the troopers are back, carrying a half dozen or more blankets. Fred takes them and walks them over to me. There's a room with a few cots that the night crew uses to nap on their breaks. We'll put a couple more cots on it and they can go there tonight. He points to a door in the far left corner of the expansive hangar. Can you have somebody come get him before shift change? I nod wordlessly. He looks at me, and his spotty face is pale, making the spots even pinker. He frowns slightly. You are crazy, cat. And then he walks away as I hustle the newly free women toward the room he had indicated, and think that he isn't wrong. <laughs>